Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Good morning. It's kind of crazy because last year I actually preached almost to the day, this day. It was last October 31st, and today is October 30th. So me and October, like, we have a thing or something. It's crazy. So really quick, I just wanted to share something. Something that really encouraged me last week was um, Kip was up here and preached, and he did, I told him, it was, I thought it was one of his best messages yet, and he preached on fatherhood, and today I'm preaching on parenthood. And mind you, like, to anyone who doubts, you know, can, I don't know how many people are on team, 12? More than that, maybe? Okay, 15. Can 15 people really line up and be so in sync and preach the gospel at a church? How does it work? Like, we get that question time and time again, yet God shows up so meticulously that he lines up perfectly who's going to preach and what. Kip didn't know what I was preaching on, and he didn't know, and I didn't know what he was preaching on. Um, And so I just love that. That was such encouragement to me. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, God. I thank you for this garden series. God, I thank you for this season that we are in, God. All about just seeing more of you, hearing more of you, God, feeling more of you, your presence this morning, God. And I just pray that everything comes out of my mouth this morning is glorifying to you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. Okay. So before I talk today, I just want to say it is about parenthood, but I also want to say to those that are in here that don't have kids yet, or you aren't in that season, to not check out, because this is still a word for you, whether you're going to be a parent someday, or I definitely think it can relate to your parents today. So this is a word for everybody. So today, I'm going to preach about what it would have been like to be the children of Adam and Eve. And God gave me this a few months ago. And so I had the thought of like, what would that have been like to be their children after creation? And Kip kind of did this last week in the beginning, which I love, but we're just going to go over the days just really quickly. Okay, day one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the, the earth. The earth was formless. It was empty and dark. The spirit of God was hovering. Verse two says, Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light and said that it was good. And I happened to be studying creation back in June. And I don't know why, but I've never realized this lately. Where did that light come from? It was before the moon, the stars, the sun. Everything was created. So the light would have had to glorify through God. It would have been his light from the very beginning. And I just, I can only imagine that. Day two, God said, let there be space. The Hebrew word is rakia, which means expanse between the waters. God literally on day two separated the waters of the heavens and the earth to create this space. He formed the perfect atmosphere for us on earth. Day three, he created the land, the seas, and the vegetation. Day four is when he created the light, the sun, the moon, the stars. I'm convinced Someday my daughter can give like a thesis on this day. She's obsessed with space right now. We have a picture. So this is, this is her four-year-old daughter. And 
I don't know why, but she became obsessed with space, picked everything up. We actually had a space-themed birthday party this year, and there was so much space stuff. It just, like, there were stars and rockets just shooting everywhere, and it was, it was wild. So this is going to be her day. She's going she's gonna to love this day to preach someday. Okay, so day five was the birds and the fish. Day six, he created the animals, and then human beings started with Adam. And I love this. The Hebrew word that's used is nefesh. It means when something has a life or a soul. And it actually says that animals, because they're living, have nefesh. And so for me, I was like, dude, will dogs go to heaven? I don't know. True day, true story. One day, this is before we had kids, we baptized my dog in the tub. So I'm like, we literally, she got muddy. We filled it up. I said, listen, all my kids are going to know the Lord. And so we literally dunked her and she's like, Ugh. So I give, I give all opportunities in my family to come to know Jesus. So if anybody's going to go to heaven someday, it will be, it'll be Ava. She's saved. We got her covered. Then day seven, he rested. Genesis 2-3 says, And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because it was that day that he rested from all of creation. And the Hebrew phrase that is used here is kadash which actually means, and I love this, it is sanctified, to be set apart or to declare something holy. And as I was reading that, thinking about that, so we do things here a little differently. We structure things differently and intentionally. And we have Selah's at our church. And to me, I read that and I thought like, man, Selah's and rest, there is a sanctification in it. And sanctification means the process of being purified. There's a purification when we rest. And so here at church, it is intentional. We love it. God and church can still be in your home. From the beginning of time, God did it. So we're going to follow that, and we're going to do it as well. And so much has come through our sailors here at church. We know that Adam was created from dust and the breath of God. And I just can't imagine what that would have been like when he woke up for the first time seeing all of this. And so I had a few thoughts, okay? He was one of two humans to be physically handcrafted by God. But Heidi actually preached a message a few months ago about how um, our left and right side brain. And I also read about when Adam would have been created, his brain would have been fully functioning, like highest capacity. I mean, you think like Adam and Eve likely would have been able to get pregnant like that. No issues, no fertility issues. So that means when he was given the job to name all the animals, he likely would have been able to name them and to remember every single animal's name. Like, can you imagine that his brain would have been fully functioning? He would have been born knowing already how to speak. He would have never had to learn a language. God was also in every detail. He knew that creating Eve from Adam, he specifically used a rib because it's one of the parts in your body that can grow back. Ike Schaefer, there's a name for that. I don't know where he's at. You, you guys can go ask him. But I just love that. And he physically walked with God. God put him in a deep sleep. And when I was praying on this, I felt the Lord say, one of the first miracles that humankind would have witnessed was the miracle of creation. Adam had already been there. 
he had already talked with God, already walked with God, he would have woken up and he would have had to have known that God created Eve, right? He would have woken up. Where did that come from? Pretty sure a frog can't do surgery. So it would have had to have been God. But I had this thought of that is why human life is so important. It was the first miracle that Adam would have seen. And so that's why we also stand up for life. His eyes, in my opinion, would have fully not seen the work of God until he woke up and saw the miracle creation. And so as I was thinking of this, a few years ago, most of you know our story of our kids, but I was thinking of like, okay, God is the ultimate surgeon. And with our daughter and our son, they're both complete miracles. She was a three-year process. We had one loss with her. um, And then she took three years to get here. And we're going to show a video in just a second. But I had to really dig through the archives. So we had a miracle series, well, what had been over four years ago. And during that series, I preached. And I was eight weeks pregnant with my daughter. And I remember announcing it and just... All of that. So I couldn't find that podcast, but I was also on the H&H Hour. So I just want you guys to take a look at this video really quick. Okay. So I'll repeat that story because it was a little little hard to hear. But um, while we were trying to get pregnant, I literally had a dream that I saw a surgeon working on my body, like my physical body. And I will never forget this dream to this day. And I saw him working and he's sewing me up. And in my dream, he looked, even though he's working my body because dreams are weird, he looked me in the eye and he said, you are 100% healed, better than you were before, and you have two healthy eggs waiting for you. And I woke up and I got pregnant with my daughter nine months later. And if you ask David, so I told him, like, oh, I'm going to use this story. This was a few weeks ago, and our son was super sick a few weeks ago. He was like, God said it, two healthy eggs, two kids, we're done, lock it up. And I was like, well, you can't lock that up. So, okay. We don't, we don't know. We go back and forth. Every day is just so different. But it is. It just depends on, like, if they're crying or not, basically. It's fine. It's fine. So I will always... Remember that dream and God providing and the fact that he is the ultimate surgeon and he can do anything. And he has been since the very beginning. And I'm not going to tell you guys the rest of the story. Most of us know they ate the fruit, got kicked out of the garden. They were banished. And I will never forget, I was pregnant with Kai. um, So this would have been probably two years ago to the day. And I was at the kitchen sink and way pregnant, like third trimester. And anyone who's been pregnant for you know like how uncomfortable that is. And I was at the sink and I was like, stupid Eve eating a stupid apple. Cause you're just like so uncomfortable. And, like, and David popped his head around the corner. He's like, technically we don't know that it was an apple. And I was like, it was an apple. <laughs> was an a- Okay, so if we, we don't know what fruit it was, but in my mind it was an apple. Don't tell that to a pregnant lady apparently, so. And I'm not even to the main point of my message yet, but it is this. So as I was studying this, because I thought like, okay, we know the um, three names are named of Adam and Eve's kids, Cain, Abel, and Seth. But we know, and this is so cool, through genetic DNA tracing, seeing as how Adam lived nearly over 900 years, they have now identified lineages descended from 10 sons of Adam and 18 daughters of Eve. So that's possibly 28 children. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, 
what would that have been like? As kids of Adam and Eve think about this, their perspective of who God is would have had to have been the lens of their parents. That's all they would have known about God was whatever their parents told them. So that would have meant that their perspective came from their parents. And I've said this, I actually said this a few months ago. Um, I felt the Lord tell me that our kids' faith is tethered to ours. What we're doing in our home, they're going to do. What we're listening to, they're listening to. What we're reading, they are reading. It is, they are tethered to ours. That's how important your faith is, especially to your kids. And so I thought, could you imagine Cain asking his mom, Mom, why doesn't God walk with us in the garden anymore? And as a mom, to have to tell her kids, I messed up. We messed up. We sinned. We made that mistake. We talked to the devil didn't listen to God, what would that have looked like? For Adam and Eve to have to look their kids in the eye, say, I'm so sorry. He's no longer physically walking with us because we messed up. And I also want to say this. I fully believe that if you cannot look your kid in the eye and apologize when you have wronged them, you have a humility issue. If you're looking at your kids and think, well, the God says, I'm the mom, I'm the dad, kids obey your parents, and you've messed up, and we know, and I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but whether you raise your tone or you speak unkindly or even you haven't done anything to them, but they saw it. If you can't look your kid in the eye and say, I'm so sorry, I should not have done that. You have a humility issue. It's all about our heart condition. And think about this, how we respond to events and situations It teaches our kids how to respond. So if your kid, and I'm not saying this happens every now and then, but if your kid is chucking a toy because he's mad, I would look at yourself. What are you doing when you're angry or you're frustrated or you're hurt? I learned this. So probably when my daughter was around two, I started like really grabbing her face and apologizing because you can see that look in your kid's eye when you've done something and they're like, what? So we started teaching her, like, Cash, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. For about a year. And then around when she was three, I was like, okay, I want to teach her to say, I forgive you. Like, I want her to know what forgiveness is. So if she would do something wrong, I would say, can you apologize to mommy? And I would say, thank you. I forgive you. This was going great. Until one day, I lifted her up to go into our car And I smacked her head on the car as I was putting her in the car seat. And she's like, and it was in her defense. It was pretty hard. And so I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Do you forgive me? And she goes, I do not. And I was like, "Mm, okay, she knows what forgiveness means now. We're golden. So they know. But it taught her, like, in that moment, you can choose to forgive. Sometimes it takes a little longer. She eventually did. It's fine. But I will also never forget, this was maybe a year after we started this church. I had a parent call me, um, and I'll never forget this. And she called because she said, I had spoken to someone, and they told me that it's okay to cry in front of your kids. And I don't believe that, because we have to be strong for our kids and all these things. And I sat, and I listened, and I said, okay, I actually disagree. I think it's okay that your kids see the emotion because I think it's so important that they see how you respond to that emotion. Our kids will not know how to forgive and to repent repent properly if they don't see it done well through us first. 
So while I can imagine the tears coming from Adam and telling their kids, I can also imagine Seth asking his dad, what was it like to walk with God? What was it like when God told you to name all the animals? What was it like being in the garden and the work wasn't hard, that um, the garden watered itself? What was that like? Tell me more. And I can also imagine the glimmer in Adam's eyes. He joyfully shared that. And this is why our testimonies are so important. Because if testimonies didn't exist, I believe that the story of God would have ceased right there. It would have stopped, but it didn't. That's how foundational they are. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. And when I see this, I see we have a split of the generation of Adam. And Chris kind of talked about this. We have the generations that come from the lineage of Cain, who killed Abel, the Canaanites came from. That's when polygamy first started. It's when um, they started inventing things like musical instruments. We see like all the things that they did. By seven generations, we now have people inventing um, quite sophisticated technology, gloating about God. And then we had the lineage of Seth, which Chris preached about. This lineage was all about calling upon the name of the Lord. And so I look at these kids from the same parents and how many of us know, like, I actually had someone just say this this week, like, I raised so many kids. Why are all of you different? And I believe it's because some people choose to, one can praise the walk and one can praise the sin. So you look at the garden, one focused so much on what the parents did wrong and one focused on the testament testimony of Jesus. One fixated on creation, the other on the mistake. One focused on the light, the other darkness. And the most devastating part is that this still affects us 6,000 years ago. And I also thought while I was reading this story, like, okay, we love to play the blame game. I believe that it's, you look, when God came and said, what happened? God already knew what happened. Adam pointed to Eve and Eve to the snake, and our kids do it. Like, my daughter does it all the time. And so I think, how can we teach our kids to walk in the way of the Lord? It all starts by imitating God in everything we do. By what we say and how we react. And so what I was saying earlier, like, I realize kids repeat everything. So when Cash was... 18 months old, we were in the bedroom, and we'd just gotten all these new appliances at our house, and David was doing them, and so Cash and I were in the bedroom, and one, one day, David was like, babe, can you come help me? And so I came out, and I'm like holding up the microwave, and I will n never forget it. Within 30 seconds later, Cash comes out, a little 18-month-old Cash, she goes, Ugh! and David goes, you complained when I asked you, didn't you? And I was in the bedroom, and she just repeated everything that I said. And he, so he looked at me, and he's like, you complained while you're in the bedroom. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. But my daughter ratted me out. So I was like, ooh. So I learned as a parent, like, okay, kids repeat. They repeat. And I also just want to teach you, if you don't know where to start with your kids, 
We started with cash when she was one. We would say, who made you? God. How did he make you? Good. What are we? Kind. There are simple things. If you don't know where to start, start with the Lord's Prayer, Psalm 23. And if you think they're too young, they can do it. Our daughter did it by age two. And that's not like, that is not a brag. Please hear my heart. Everybody has their gift. My daughter just has a gift of memorization. Unlike my son, like you look at him half the time, he's like, whoa, 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 snack. I was like, okay. So he might have a little bit of a different gift, but <laughs> how we react and the things that we say are so important. It's our human nature. We want to repeat after our parents. The second thing is by teaching them true repentance. We have to apologize. We teach them forgiveness. And I also believe that it's so important that you talk to your kids about the hard things. Because if you don't, somebody else will. And it likely will not be a godly perspective. And this actually really struck me. So my sister, oh goodness, my niece, this was probably two or three years ago. Um, my niece, who would have been second grade at the time, um, heard what sex was. She kind of came home and she's like, mom, what is this? Not fully. So my sister called me and she's like, do you want to come over and give your niece the sex talk? And I was like, I started sweating and I was like, what? But I am her godparent and I would rather her hear it from me. Well, so I went over to, to her house and we talked and just this godly image. And she had a few, few follow-up questions. One was afterwards, she goes, oh, so we, I don't do it now. And I was like, no, you don't do it now. You need to be married. Like, let's just not. But we had a good, good talk. She had a few questions. And she came out and looked at my sister, my brother-in-law, and she said, y'all nasty. And I was like, I don't know how well this turned out. But <laughs> it was hard, and it was uncomfortable. And sometimes the things that you talk about with your kids, they're hard and they are uncomfortable. And my kids are still young, but it's so important, especially in the schools right now. The things that kids are learning, they're learning it at a younger age. And I want to look back and I want to be able to tell my kids the hard things. I want to be able to look at my son and tell him the miracle of his birth and the timing of his birth and his story. I want to tell him that testimony and if you don't know, like he was born at 2.14 p.m. Like there is, it's, he has a huge, awesome story. But I also want to look him in the eye and tell him of the in-between and the stuff that I know that I've messed up on. Because I believe our kids look to us and put us on such a high pedestal that if we don't share the hard things, it might be difficult for them to come to us when they go through those hard things. And so, yes, that includes topics like sex, pornography, and lust, but it's also just the times of when we've messed up in our life. And I believe that when we have these hard conversations with our kids, that beautiful repentance will flow through that room. Someday, like Adam and Eve, I will get to share all these things with my son and my daughter. I want to be able to share with my kids someday about my shortcomings because it will make the glory of God and the miracle of their life shine even brighter. And there is power 
in our testimony. So as I was also thinking about this, I thought, I've heard this said recently, like more throughout the past year or two, but specifically the past year, that Satan is after families right now. Hardcore. And as I read this, I also thought, oh, wow, the first thing Satan attacked on earth was the family unit. They didn't have kids yet, but they were a family. They were married. That's the very first thing that he attacked, and I'm, we're not having it. He is a liar. He's been a liar since the beginning of time. And as I'm sitting here, I just heard the Lord say, peaks and valleys. So from the beginning of time, there has been, there's been peaks like creation, and there's been valley like the sin. Constantly, it's an ebb and flow. And I think so many times, it's easy for us when we're on a peak, when we're on a mountaintop moment to praise God and just say, he's all good. I got what I want. You got what you wanted out of God. But people struggle to get on their knees and pray in those moments because they don't want, what else do they want right now? And similar to when you're struggling and you're on your knees and you're begging God, like I think of the story of both of our kids and how much I prayed during that time. And if I'm being honest, a lot of my prayers are probably because I wanted something. That when we want something and we're in the valleys, we also forget to continually praise him. Our prayer and our praise life needs to be consistent and the same, whether our peaks and our valleys. And our kids have to be able to see that. They have to. I had this picture I put up. I don't have it now. But uh, um, maybe about six months ago, I felt, so our daughter, uh, my daughter and I pray every night. David does my son, and I take our daughter to bed. I felt her say, like, okay, I want to teach her to get on our knees when we pray to show her what that submission to the Lord looks like. And every Sunday, I asked her, like, do you want to? Let's try. Let's try. And one day she did. One day she said yes, because she sees it mimicked, not just through me, but through all of you guys, too. And I also think of those moments that I felt so low. There were moments between both of our kids that I had tangible thoughts of killing myself. And those moments that were low, we also cannot forget to praise God. And those moments that when we're high, we cannot forget to pray to God. They need to be consistent in the same. And so about a year ago, um, I started realizing our daughter has the gift of prayer and prophecy. And she would pray for people and then something would happen. Um, and it kind of like kept coming to where I was like, you know, when God does so much that you don't want to forget it. And you're like, oh, this happened, this happened. So I thought, okay, I'm going to start writing these down. And then back in May, she was gifted her own journal, says Cash, really cute, looks like this. And so we started writing down the moments that God was speaking to her. And we're going to give it to her on her 18th birthday. And so today, as I realize and I'm preaching, and I'm like, okay, testimonies are so important for families. My husband comes home last week, and he was like, we had freedom ministry, and I'm telling him about this message, and he was like, no, you need to hear this verse. Lynn, you guys, I guess, had just talked about this verse that night, and it's in Deuteronomy. It says this. It says, but watch out. Be careful never to forget what you yourself have seen, 
Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live, and be sure to pass them on to your children and your grandchildren. These things that are happening with my kids, I don't ever want our generation, my family's generation, to forget. Our lineage. And so today, we're going to have some journals come up. And each family, I want you guys to come up, and you're going to take one. And you're going to take it home. And that verse is going to be on the inside cover. And here's what's going to happen. Any small thing that happens in your family that you think, look what God did, you're going to write it down. And I want us to be able to save these for generations to come. It doesn't say just pass them on to your children, your grandchildren. Multiple generations. That's how powerful our testimonies are. From the beginning of time, it was a testimony. Adam and Eve sharing to their kids, it was a testimony of what they saw. And I'm so thankful that that testimony trickled down all the way to us. So I'm getting ready to pray. And after we do, um, I just want each family to come up. And you're going to grab a journal. And you're going to pray together as a family. And you're going to write down testimonies so we never forget them. So let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning, Jesus. God, I thank you for how important testimonies are, God. Let us never forget how good you are, Jesus. God, I'm thankful that we come through the lineage of you, Jesus. God, I pray that as parents, we are not afraid to talk to our kids about the hard things, but we can also raise up generations, God. People who love you, who follow you, who call on your name, God. I want my kids someday that when they go through something hard, that they call upon you first before me, Jesus. So God, I pray, God, we speak against the spirit of Leviathan right now. God, I speak against any lies that... There's a parent sitting here thinking that they're not good enough, Jesus. God, if we fixate our eyes on you and you alone, that teaches our kids to fixate their eyes on you, Father. And so, God, as we get these this morning, I pray that these pages are filled up. God, I pray that you fill them up so fast that they're going to need another one in a year that these can continuously be records of the things that you have done and that they can be passed on. I pray that great-grandparents will be able to read these someday, great-grandchildren. And so, God, as we just close out this series, I'm thankful for the example that you gave us of Adam and Eve because even though they're known for their sin, they're known for their mess-up, God, I just know that they would have had to share their testimonies to their children, God. I know it. So Jesus, we thank you this morning for testimony. Pray this in your name. Amen.